I'm Naomi Johnston. I'm originally from Hawke's Bay, so I don't, I don't actually come from Hamilton. I don't have much history here. But I grew up in Hawke's Bay in a little suburb called Flaxmere. Has anyone heard of Flaxmere? <laughs> you don't wear blue in Flaxmere? I grew up in a Christian household, so my parents were Christian, and we were raised Christian. My parents weren't raised Christian, and so they did a lot of um, work trying to uh, bring us up in the way we should go. Any sort of Christian rules or anything they wanted to pass down to us so we had, you know, expert-level Christianity as we were growing up. And, um, you know, one of the rules was that we weren't allowed to listen to non-Christian music. We were only to listen to Christian music. And not just that, but it had to be worship music. And if, if we were elite-level Christians, it would be instrumental worship music. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And so when I received my first cassette player at the tender age of 12, <sighs> um, I promptly started listening to, uh, I think it was The Edge, ZM. And I would put my headphones in and I would uh, listen to Eminem, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, anything that was sort of the top of the charts. And I would get my little cassette tape and put tape over the top so you could record over it. So does anyone remember that? Yes. And so I took my dad's instrumental worship cassette tapes and I dubbed over it with Eminem. I'm Slim Shady, yes, I'm the real Shady. And um, I... L <laughs> Sorry. My Flaxmere heritage did not come in then at all, did it? No. So I would learn... <laughs> I would learn Eminem off by heart, and after that I would follow it through with some Britney Spears. Oops, I did it again. <laughs> and it, it went on like that. So I would, I would copy these tracks and I'd put my headphones in and I would listen to this music. So me and music have a very strong affinity, and one of the ways that I like to display this is by joining the local dance crew. Is anyone here part of a dance crew? One person, no more, eh? Because once you hit like 25, it's, it gets a bit wobbly. There's not much, you know, you start trying to do certain moves and undulations and things like that. It just gets out of hand. And so I quit the dance group because I didn't think anyone wanted to see a 70-year-old. Because um, I had also picked hip-hop as my genre. So I wasn't a graceful ballerina. I was, uh, you know, stomping on the yard. <laughs> I'm sure I could say this better, but that's okay. Anyway, music was a huge part of my life. And I pride myself on the types of music that I listen to. I think it's part of my identity. So when I'm in a public place and I have the opportunity to share my playlist, I pick one with care and I pick it with pride because showing music or showing a song is a part of my identity. I want people to identify with me who listen to the same types of music. I want them to hear my music and think, that girl is cool, listen to what she listens to. Who's that artist? I would also like to follow them. Can I follow your playlist? And so my music is a part of my identity and how I show myself to other people. So I became a proper Christian at the age of 16. I say proper because it became my own faith and not my parents' faith at the age of 16. And I put in place rules about what I was going to listen to, and I sort of reverted back to my parents' rules, which was that I wasn't going to listen to anything that wasn't Christian, and I was going to make a majority of it worship. And I, so I set that boundary in place. 
Then my boundaries started slipping slightly, and I feel like a lot of us in the room could maybe relate to this next step. I would say no to music that didn't sound kind of Christian. So if it had okay lyrics, then I would still allow myself to listen to that music. You know, especially if it was a Christian artist, potentially crossover, you know, like back in the day it was Switchfoot. They didn't actually mention Jesus a lot. And what they did say could relate to a love relationship between a husband and wife, but could also be to God. And so I would listen to Switchfoot, Stacey Arico, (laughs) from the 90s. So they were kind of the edgy ones back then that sort of declared themselves to be Christian, but their lyrics were a little more edgier. So that's where I went next. After that, I was like, I allowed myself to listen to music as long as it didn't have swear words or lewd lyrics. So I would allow myself to listen to music as long as it wasn't sexually promiscuous or as long as they weren't swearing. And so if I liked a song and it didn't have those two things, I would let myself listen to that. And I thought that was all good. I was keeping my standards up higher than some of the other people around me. Then it was just music without swearing. So you can see it starts slipping. So I would let myself listen to promiscuous music. I did love a little bit of Drake. I enjoy Drake. I think he's very talented. But his music is very promiscuous, very lurid in how he talks about women. But I thought that was okay because he was keeping it real. And he was someone that I like to relate to. He's kind of a cool guy. He makes cool beats. People dance to his beats. And so I would let myself listen to that. And then after that, it got to the very bottom where I was like, I can listen to any music as long as it makes me feel good. Cool? So I feel like as Christians, we're allowed to do that. You can listen to whatever music you want to listen to as long as it makes you feel good. And that's kind of a standard that we're, we've allowed ourselves to get into. And I think that's totally fine. You do you. You do what you want to do. But I'm here to let you know that there might be a standard we should be adhering to. As Christians, in order to differentiate ourselves from the world around us, maybe there's a standard we should be adhering to. And not because people tell us to, not because we feel like that's a standard Christians need to live at, but because there's something about music that invites us to do that. There's something about music that's a bit more than entertainment, that asks something more of us as Christians. So we're going to delve into that today. If you didn't already know, this sermon is on music. Um, And so for me, one of the ways that we can figure out the purpose of music is to figure out what makes it holy. Because in the Old Testament, there was a thing they did when they created items for use in the temple, right? So these items were called holy items. And the reason they were holy is because if it was made to do a certain thing, that is the only thing that it was supposed to do. For instance, if you made a golden screwdriver for use in the temple, one, you would only use it in the temple. Two, you would only use it as a screwdriver. So I would not go into the temple one fine Saturday, grab a screwdriver and hit a nail on the head. That's, that's not what this was for. So the, the reason that the screwdriver was holy is because it was being used in the right place at the right time for the right thing. Does that make sense this morning? So we're going to look at music and how music can be used in the right place at the right time for the right thing. 
So the first scripture we're going to look at is quite long, and so I'd ask for you to bear with me, um, because I've tried to cut it down, but the context of it is so important that we're going to read all 15 verses today, all right? Oh, Christians reading 15 verses in a morning service. All right, so we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. Sorry if you don't understand some of the names, we're just going to bust through, and I'll tell you when it's going to get important. Ahab's son Joram began to rule over Israel in the 18th year of King Jehoshaphat's reign in Judah. He reigned in Samaria 12 years, and he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not to the same extent as his father and mother. He at least tore down the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had set up. Nevertheless, he continued in the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nebat, had committed and led the people of Israel to commit. So he's a pretty bad guy, right? He's not doing the right thing. He's screwing it up for everyone. Verse 4. King Mesha of Moab was a sheep breeder. He used to pay the king of Israel an annual tribute of 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But after Ahab's death, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Joram promptly mustered the army of Israel and marched from Samaria. On the way, he sent this message to King Jehoshaphat of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you join me in battle against him? So one evil king is asking for one righteous king to join him in battle and fight these guys that were about to rip off the chains of bondage against Israel. And Jehoshaphat replied, Why, of course, you and I are as one. My troops are your troops, my horses are your horses. Then Jehoshaphat asked, what route will we take? We will attack from the wilderness of Edom, Joram replied. The king of Edom and his troops joined them, and all three armies traveled along a roundabout route through the wilderness for seven days, but there was no water for the men or the animals. So they're now getting frustrated and thirsty. What should we do, the king of Israel cried out. The Lord has brought the three of us here to let the king of Moab defeat us. But King Jehoshaphat of Judah asked, is there no prophet of the Lord with us? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. One of King Joram's officers replied, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to be Elijah's personal assistant. Jehoshaphat said, yes, the Lord speaks through him. So the king of Israel, King Jehoshaphat of Judah, and the king of Edom went to consult with Elisha. This is where it gets important. Why are you coming to me, Elisha asked the king of Israel. Go to the pagan prophets of your father and mother. But King Joram of Israel said no, for it was the Lord who called us here only to be defeated by the king of Moab. Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother with you except for my respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Now bring me someone who can play the harp. While the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. So Elisha is in a headspace where he has been approached by a man who has probably belittled him and put him down and is blatantly serving false gods. And now that he's in his time of need, he is leaning on this prophet and asking for a favor. Has anyone had that in their lives where you have a friend or you have a family member or you have someone that has like left you in the dirt or refuses to talk to you until they need something? 
right? How frustrating is that to have someone only come to you when they need something? And even then, he's being negative about it. He's like, the Lord doesn't even want to, he's brought us here to be killed. He's being such a negative Nancy. And Elisha has to hear from God and give them the word of God. And he can't get his head in the game. So what does he ask for? He calls for a harpist to come and play the harp. And that sets his mind right with God. It gets his head in the space. So we're finding out that music brings our mind into focus and facilitates an atmosphere for the Spirit to speak to us. Are you in a situation at work or at uni or at home with family members where you need to realign yourself and you need to get out of that murky headspace and you don't know what to do? Maybe this is one of the keys you could implement in your life. Maybe you can switch to music that empowers the Holy Spirit. Maybe in that situation of frustration, it just takes some worship for us to get our mind aligned. That's the power of music. That is one of the holy ways we can use music, is by using it in a situation where we need to realign with God. And we're so frustrated that we just can't get our head out of that space. May I ask you, have you implemented worship? I had a situation a few weeks ago where I had my daughter home for the day. She's one and a half and she's really cute and no one understands how much trouble she can actually be sometimes at home. And we got so frustrated. With, she just woke up on the wrong... I didn't know this could happen. I didn't know people could just wake up and be angsty. But my parents obviously thought that that happened to me. So maybe I've passed it on. But Mina can sometimes wake up and just be angsty. She's just like, eh, I don't want any food. And if I do want food, it's not that food. And I would, you know, I'd rather be in bed crying than up here. So she gets really angsty. And I just remember being super frustrated and super wound up. And so I played some worship music in the car. And I, I only did it because that's all I had on my playlist. I wasn't trying to be holy or spiritual. But something changed in the car. Mina doesn't even understand a lot of worship music in English, but something changed in the car. We relaxed. Maybe it was me. Maybe I relaxed. Maybe I became less frustrated. Maybe I was, praise the name of the Lord, and then it slowly loosens you up. Something happens. <laughs> to me, this is one of the holy ways we can use music, and, and that was so real to me. That wasn't, I don't know. I just noticed we both relaxed. Let's read another verse. 1 Samuel 16, verse 14. So Saul was an appointed king, right? Saul was chosen to be the first king of Israel. He was a super epic guy. He was taller than all the other guys. Apparently that makes you really cool as a guy. So he was super tall. He was kind of ruggedly good looking. And um, he became the first king of Israel. And God, God anointed him. But something had happened where... Saul had disobeyed, and now he wasn't in the right space with God. As it says in verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. <laughs> and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Now I just want to point out here, when the Bible talks about that, it's talking about how the Lord did not stop that from happening. The Lord never causes evil and tormenting spirits to come upon you. What he does do is he allows it to happen because you have stepped away from him, right? So I want to clear that up because God does not send tormenting and evil spirits. This is part of the language translation. What it means is that God allowed that spirit to come upon him. God stepped back. 
God's spirit left Saul, and so now it was empty. There's room for other spirits to come in. Some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music and you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior, a man of God and has good judgment. He is also a fine looking young man and the Lord is with him. Super important back then, apparently. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son, David the shepherd. Jesse responded by sending David to Saul. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Then Saul sent word to Jesse asking, please let David remain in my service for I am very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. So here, not only does music help us to align ourselves with God, but when music comes from the hand of a talented player who trusts and leans on God, spiritual forces move. So not only does it cause you to be able to control which direction your mind goes in, it can control spiritual forces. I don't know about you, but that makes me super stoked. So if I go into a circumstance where I can feel a heaviness, or I know that there's something more going on than just what I can see, I have an action I can take to better the situation. If I have a family member or a friend, and they seem oppressed, maybe they have a tormented spirit, maybe they have depression, maybe they have anxiety, maybe there's something troubling them that is beyond something that they could fix, I have a solution I can bring to the situation. I can play music. I can make the choice to bring the Holy Spirit into that situation and change some things for that person. Doesn't that make you excited? We have a power there. We're not powerless. David's musical talent, combined with his dependence on God, resulted in the power over the demons. Are you a creative person here this morning? Do you make things with your hands? Do you, do you do accounting really well? Are you really good at something? I'm sure we're all kind of really good at something. Are you leaning into God for that skill? Because part of the thing that made David powerful is that he trusted in God, he relied on God. So not only was it the words coming out of his mouth or the sounds being played, it was the influence of the person behind the gift. Are you, as Christians, bringing that into your situation? Are you leaning on God? Are you relying on God? Are you not only bringing a lovely sound, are you bringing the Spirit of God into that situation? Because you can't do that by yourself. You have to be leaning on God personally to bring that power into the situation. I don't know about you, but I want to be bringing that sort of power in, so I'm gonna start leaning more on God in my talent. I'm not gonna rely on the fact that I'm good at public speaking. I'm not gonna rely on the fact that I have a great camera and I can take good photos. I'm going to lean into God and press into God so that maybe that talent has a bigger purpose than just looking pretty, looking good, fulfilling a need. Maybe I can bring godly power into that situation. Are we listening to music that people are creating through their dependence on God? And if we're not, 
if we're dabbling in other stuff, if we're watching other things, if we're allowing other things, and what power is that activating? Because music is not simply just about God, and the power doesn't come just in Christian music. There is a power in all music. Music was created that way. So if you're not listening to something that is activating God, what is it activating? And as Christians, why do we let that in? Why do we have the Spirit of God in us, and through our actions we invite other spirits into our space? Why would we do that? What is it about our relaxed attitude that allows us to do that to ourselves? All right, one more scripture. (laughs) Two Chronicles. Chapter 5. The trumpeters and singers performed together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words, He is good, His faithful love endures forever. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the filled the temple. So not only can we align our minds to God when we are frustrated, not only can we cause demons and spiritual things to leave the room when we want them to, but we can cause a manifestation of the Holy Spirit to come into a room simply by the use of our praise and worship. Let me, let me explain to you the difference between a manifest presence of God and God's omnipresence. So omnipresence means that God is everywhere all of the time. Everyone understands that, right? So God, when, when you speak, when you pray, God is right there. When you're in a difficult situation, God is there. Manifest presence is when you can feel God there. When you can feel something is different in the room. When a glorious cloud fills the temple and people can't do what they came to do because God is in the room. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that incredible? That we can cause God to come down from heaven and make Himself felt in the room. That is incredible. That there could be people sitting in this room that are not Christian, that do not know our God, that do not understand the power of God, and He will come in and be felt by them. here to make a difference in the world, what are we here to do? If we're not here to be salt and to be light and to cause change in people and to give them the same hope that we have been given, what are we doing here in church? What are we doing here? What are we doing with our lives? Why do we bring things back down to such a basic level where we make no change, where people are dying, and we're listening to Eminem. And we're listening to the Beatles. And it's all great music. It's extremely talented music. 
but it's belittling the Spirit of God and the power He can have through us. Why do we do that? So we can be a little bit cooler. So we can enjoy listening to some talented music. So we can relax and have our wine and wind down after a tough afternoon. I don't know. Why do we do that to God? Why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we do that to the world? I don't know about you, but I've been given 1,000 chances by God. God stepped into my situation in my life so many times. He personally stepped in and changed the course of my life. So I made a stupid decision and I'm about to move out with my boyfriend and I tell my dad and my dad sends me to a Christian camp. And I say yes, because they're skydiving. So I go skydiving. I sit in the worship service. I'm trying not to get involved. God comes into the room through worship. I kid you not. I sat there and I said, I said, God, I physically can't choose to walk away from this boy. I love him. Don't ask me to do that. However, if you want me, you can come and get me. That's literally all I did. And God came into my spirit. Why do we, who have been given thousands of opportunities to turn to God, why do we squander that by remaining so insular, by being so embarrassed of Christian music, by being so embarrassed of the power of God? And these people that get one chance, two chances, you know, raised to be Muslim, raised to do works, raised and then human trafficked and then killed. And, and we're, we're just too embarrassed to play Hillsong at, at uni. Oh my gosh, they say the name Jesus. Everyone's going to think I'm weird. We have so much more power than that, guys. We have power to change our lives, but more importantly, we have power to change other people's lives. I'm just going to close with this verse. Philippians 4 verse 8. Summing it all up, friend, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. The best, not the worst. The beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, will work you into His most excellent harmonies. May you be encouraged this week, guys, to meditate on things true and noble. Maybe that um, that TV show doesn't seem too bad, but is it noble? Is it true? Is it authentic? Is it something that you want to be? Do you want to stand before God and show Him your Netflix playlist? Would you be proud to do that? Would you be proud to give God your playlist and say, I know you came in and changed my life. This is what I decided to do with it. Let's not be people like that, eh? Let's not be ashamed of that when we come to the end.